This is the Unmuted Podcast by Mosaic, hosted by Bella Passi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unmuted Podcast. I'm your host, Bella Passi. Unmuted is a podcast where we host conversations on pressing issues in today's society, including things like social protest, Black Lives Matter, COVID, and reconciliation. We will host interviews with a diverse group of students from the PLNU community. Unmuted focuses on topics that may be considered hard to talk about, but show that by having the conversation, we can start the change that is needed in these times. And for today's conversation, we will be discussing LGBTQ plus normalizing conversations. With me, I have two guests, Jake Gilbertson and Jenna Hyricks. We're so excited to have them here with us today as they share their experiences. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Unmuted. We are so excited to be back again and I'm so excited to have these two guests with us today. Um, I'm so ready to dive into this conversation, but before we do, I'm going to have each of our guests introduce themselves, you know, tell a little bit about yourself, who you are on this campus, um, and you know, why you're here. Okay, um, I'm Jenna Heinrichs. I'm an RA out in the Colony Apartments. I'm also on the track team, um, member of Voices of Love. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I'm a senior graduating in June, so that's Ooh, amazing. Exciting. Woo. Awesome. And can, sorry, can you explain a little bit about for anyone who doesn't know what Voices of Love is? Oh yeah, Voices of Love is the um, affinity group on campus, not an official club, but an affinity group for LGBTQ students and their allies on campus. It's a really great space. Anybody who is affirming of LGBT community people or identifies like that themselves is really welcome to come. Awesome. Thank you. Well said. Uh, My name's Jake Gilbertson. I serve here as Dean of Students and Director of Residential Life, but that's not why I'm here today. I'm here today because I also serve as co-advisor to Voices of Love and um, with Jess Hong, who is just the best. Honestly, she should be here uh, as well, or probably instead of me. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I did my dissertation on supporting LGBTQ students uh, on a Christian campus. And I have been in voices, involved in Voices of Love, um, along with the students who have really done the major work of creating voices and making it a safe space for seven years now, probably about. So it's been a long time. Uh, because my role as Dean of Students, I no longer like sit in our weekly voices meetings. Jess does a lot of the relational like presence work and is so good at that. Um, but still uh, try my best to use my position to advocate well for students and make sure we're caring well for them. And so, yeah, excited for this conversation. Awesome. Thank you both. Yeah, I think when we like first, you know, rolled out our schedule for this semester, this was one of the, com- I mean, I love all of our conversations, but this was one of the conversations I was really looking forward to have, uh, having on this campus and, you know, with you guys as well. Um, so, you know, before we start, Um, First, I want to give a little disclaimer. So this conversation is more so going to be around how do we talk about this, right? How do we talk about um, having hard conversations and especially maybe as that pertains to talking about the intersection of Christianity and faith Mm -hmm. with um, LGBT, LGBT, oh, this is going to be 
Yeah. This is going to be rough for me. So I believe in you. Yeah, I believe yeah, you. Yeah, I really you. do. Thank you, guys. Grace abounds. Um, LGBTQ plus issues and things like that. Um, so that's what this conversation is more so about. Um, we're not going to get into necessarily the hard issues and things like that in this conversation. And I wouldn't feel comfortable because it's only 45 minutes. And I think that conversation um, should be affronted a lot more time to be held. Um, but... As most listeners know, I like to always, you know, I call it a mini history lesson or report, give a little bit of context um, for anybody who might not be as familiar with the issues um, to give them that so they kind of know what we're going to be talking about as we jump into this conversation. So... LGBTQ students in higher education. While over 100 LGBTQ centers exist on college campuses across the country, there is limited federal data about LGBTQ students in higher education. For this reason, much of what is known about LGBTQ students comes from non-federal sources. So some of these statistics are LGBTQ men were twice as likely to obtain a bachelor's degree than LGBTQ women in 2015. The probability of LGBTQ women completing a bachelor's degree was 25%, which is lower than heterosexual women's predicted probability of 34% in 2015. Um, In 2015, LGBTQ women earned less than heterosexual women, reporting an average annual salary of $45,000 thousand dollars uh versus fifty one thousand dollars and similarly in 2015 lgbtq men reported earning an average of fifty six thousand compared with an average earnings for heterosexual men of eighty three thousand so we just like to provide a little bit of like statistics and we'll go a bit more into it after but just talking about first what the context looks like and how common it is um to have on college campuses um and what that looks like in the world in terms of you know lgbtq plus individuals and all of that and i don't necessarily always feel like everybody on a christian campus is as familiar with that so that's why we want to provide that um we're going to reference that a little bit more later but i want to talk to you guys um you know and to get started Can you guys kind of briefly describe your journey that's led you um, to being a part of this conversation today? Um, You've talked about it a little bit, but just a little bit more in depth so, you know, our listeners really get to know you. Sure. I'm happy to go first. Um, Yeah, my journey. So I think to start off, um, I'm a straight, uh, cisgender male, white middle upper class highly educated i i literally check you know every box of privilege there is out there mm-hmm. um and and so yeah i have worked here at point loma for a long time as part of my work here at point loma um there was really a, i think a lot of student uh activism and desire to see a safe space for lgbtqi plus individuals and as we were looking at where that could be housed, I was director of community life at the time, and uh, a number of administrators kind of came together and said, hey, could, could we house this with you in community life? It, it seems to make sense. And I was happy to do that. So I started meeting with students and basically just saying, like, tell me your story was kind of where this all started. Um, and for me, and I think hopefully the, a theme that will emerge in this is I think listening well to people's stories and caring about what they're actually dealing with is a really good starting place. Mm-hmm. In any hard conversation that we're talking about, that's probably a really good starting place. What I what became really clear as I listened to students is for four students here who identify as LGBTQIA+, they're, they face a lot of challenges. Uh, as much as 
I want Point Loma to be a safe space for all students, for everyone to feel welcomed and accepted here. Um, the, the theme over and over again was students saying, that, that's not how I feel. That's not what Point Loma is for me. Um, and that's heartbreaking for me, who cares deeply about Point Loma and deeply about students. But beyond that, like, I mean, you referenced some of the stats, some of the stats that, that may be also important, and I'm not going to have them off the top of my head, but I mean, LGBTQIA plus individuals are far more likely to uh, attempt suicide, things like this. Mental health challenges, mm-hmm. very significant within the LGBTQIA plus community because of uh, so much of the trauma they carry, because of their experiences with how they're often perceived and treated um, in society. And certainly in Christian spaces, that remains even more true probably than outside. Absolutely. So if we, if, if we use that as kind of like a base, I think, uh, again, over and over again, as I sat with students and just said, tell me your story, like, to be honest, my heart just broke. Mm-hmm. And it just became this reality of like, um, that's not the experience I want for you. That's not the experience, that's not the way I want you to experience Point Loma. It's not the way I want you to experience your higher ed uh, career. We need to do something. And, and students, again, were driving that train, saying we need a safe space. Uh, but through through them sharing their stories, I was able to, like I think, really come to understand that. And then starting to do research. And around that time, I was having to choose a dissertation topic. And I said, well, if I can do this work at Point Loma for my dissertation, that feels like a win-win <laughs> for everyone. Mm. Um, it, certainly was not something I anticipated, was not something I like counted on. I grew up in a very like traditional Christian family. I'm a pastor's kid. Um, and so the narratives around this were, were always, I think, the ones that are deeply ingrained in Christian circles. And I just never had an experience that caused me to challenge those. But these did. They created some dissonance where I had to go, wait, what if the way I've always thought about this or been told about this isn't um, maybe the whole picture. And, and so all those things, uh, you know, being asked to do it for work, but then hearing those stories and becoming like passionate about that really just led me to, to really believe and, and be so thankful for what we've been able to do with voices and, and some other places. And certainly I think at the beginning to say like, I do not want to create a narrative that like, Oh good. Now Point Loma is like perfect and great. And we've solved all these challenges that students face. Not at all. Like very aware that this is an, an ongoing issue. Um, we have made progress. I'm thankful for things we've been able to do. And there's still a lot of work to do to ensure that everyone in our community feels safe, feels seen, feels held well. And, and that's over a host of issues, but certainly for our LGBTQI plus students. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and then walking that out, seeing uh, change happen through the creation of voices, through voices doing good work, putting on events, raising kind of uh, the narrative across campus. Um, for, I think for a lot of Christian spaces for a long time, the narrative was just like, we don't have queer students here, so we're fine. And we just know that's not true. And so we know we have to care well for them. Um, and, and certainly the more you understand their experience, the more you understand that uh, that's not always easy to do. There's a lot of challenge there. And there are students there are students like mm-hmm. we have to care well for them. So that that I think is a little bit of my journey and, and what that's looked like for me. Um, and, and I think coming with a really significant paradigm shift from, 
okay, like maybe even how do we care well for them to like, how do we celebrate what they bring to our campus? Mm. How do we celebrate uh, who these students are and the impact they have on our campus? How do we invite them to live into who they are and to, to feel safe to do that here so that, that they make our community better? And, and the more and more I've come to see that as uh, students do that, I'm, I'm thankful that that's been the case. So sorry, I talked a long time, but Jenna would love you. <laughs> Um, so the question is our journey that brought us here today. Yeah. Okay. So for me, part of what brought me here is that I am a lesbian, which is super exciting for me on this campus, obviously. <laughs> um, super fun time um, being at a Nazarene school. But um, that journey even is really interesting. So I'll just give mm-hmm. a little brief for our listeners who might be identified with the LGBT community. I think it could be helpful. But anyway, so my journey is that... Um, Voices of Love has been a big part of my experience here at Point Loma. My sophomore year, I started um, a journey into affirming theology and got involved with Voices of Love as an ally who thought I was like the straightest of straights. Um, I actually um, spent junior, sophomore and junior year um, identifying as straight as an ally. And I would go to these Voices of Love meetings all the time, very involved. Um, as an ally up until I actually, over this last summer, um, walked into a um, very serious relationship where I was planning on getting engaged to a man, actually. And that's when I came out as lesbian. I realized I was lesbian, definitely not straight. And obviously, engagement to a man doesn't work at that point. So that was called off. So anyway, now here I am. And I feel like my journey into this conversation specifically Um, includes both of those sides of knowing how it feels to um, identify as straight and be present in the community as an ally and then also what that coming out process looks like what it feels to be closeted um, in a very primarily Christian environment and how it feels to be out to be out and to be visible as an RA kind of thing so yeah definitely Um, thank you both so much for sharing you know little parts of your story in terms of, you know, why you're here today. I think it's so important for our listeners to kind of know the perspective in which we're entering into this conversation and um, the vulnerability and like the stories we're going to be talking about and, you know, from where we're coming from. Um, So with that, then uh, I'm sure you guys, I mean, you've hinted that you do, but what has your experience been in having conversations as it pertains to, you know, LGBTQ plus, um, issues in Christianity and, you know, navigating those conversations, whether that be on this campus, in your own personal life, um, family, all those things, you know, what has that been like for you guys? Um, it's been a lot, mm. um, not going to lie, I think. And it's just been so full of loss, I would mm. say just it is wild to me um when this conversation comes up just how much hate people have the potential to have in their heart Mm -hmm. and before you bring up this topic you wouldn't even know Mm -hmm. you know before you bring up this topic if you're either closeted or you are straight um you'll be around people and they'll seem like the best of people um the kindest of friends um the dearest of family members you know, partners, things like that. And then you bring up this conversation and people just spiral. Mm -hmm. 
really. Um, yeah. So I think my experience with this conversation has been a lot of pain. And from my experience with podcasts, I know that people a lot of times can only make it through the first 10 minutes. And so Mm -hmm. I'm just going to like say, hit it hard, like right from the jump. I think um, I would like to share a little bit about the realness of what these conversations have looked like for me. And I would like to share that Um, starting... My soft, summer after my sophomore year, I actually was the first time I developed suicidal thought. Mm -hmm. Um, I decided to start off with that. I was gonna answer that later in a question, but you brought it up earlier. Yeah. Um, For context, I've had a really, really rough life, abusive home, abusive parents, um, all sorts of things that you could never imagine. And I made it through all of that unscathed. Mental health on fleek, like (laughs) just like literally, top tier mental health. And like, I was doing literally fine. And my sophomore year, summer after my sophomore year, right at the end of that summer, I started having suicidal thought. And I mentioned that because the other things that happened that summer were, I started questioning my sexuality and I actually went to conversion therapy. So um, I went to the most, the most watered down version of conversion therapy out there. Um, It was a group program for like technically like all kinds of sins and hangups quote, you know, for all people. Um, And I thought it would be a really good thing to like work on myself over the summer. Um, I was a very strong affirming person at that time. So, but I thought it would be fine. I really did. Um, But there's nothing like having conversations with people. And we don't know why this is, just because there just hasn't been enough research. But we don't know why this is. But for some reason, any attempt to change your sexual orientation does immediately link to suicidal thought. Immediate, intrusively suicidal thought. Like, it wasn't even connected to anything except for that experience. And I would like to share that because when we talk about these conversations, so often I get people in my DMs all the time. Literally, this has been a constant battle for me all year. Is just my DMs will be flooded with people who just want to have these conversations. And to them, it's an intellectual exercise. Yeah. Mm. You know, to them, it's a theological discussion. And obviously, those theological conversations hold weight for them. If they believe they care about me and they believe I'm going to hell, that's terrifying for them. Terrifying. But I mean, more terrifying for me. I'm just gonna put that out there. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, so I think, um, but I think a lot of people who do identify as straight or maybe are questioning their sexuality or are closeted or are queer themselves who are non-affirming, these conversations come up as just theological conversations and they don't realize the impact that they have. So before anyone clicks out of this podcast, that's the first thing, if they leave with anything, that's what I want them to realize. Mm -hmm is that even their smallest of beliefs really do just like immediately have some dire consequences. But yeah, so that's been my experience. It's not great, mm-hmm. but here we are. But it's real. It's so right? real. Which is why like, yeah. it, that's why we you're here to share that and stuff. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Jenna. I think, uh, I mean, to piggyback off what Jenna said, maybe just a good piece of advice, uh, 
<laughs> and I probably broke it already, even with what I shared. Um, I, it's really tempting when you're like wrestling with something or trying to figure it out or wanting to have a conversation to like, if you have a friend or an acquaintance or someone, you know, I mean, like use Jenna as an example. If I find out uh, that, that Jenna identifies as a lesbian and I'm trying to figure this stuff out or I've heard a conversation, it's really tempting to go like, I know, I'll go talk to Jenna and like she'll help me understand this differently or, or I can ask her all these questions I'm having. And I think that's well-intentioned and maybe a theme that we'll touch on in Christian spaces is like well-intentioned things can still be extremely hurtful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like intentions do not mitigate impact on people. Oh, so true. Right? So I think I give most people the benefit of the doubt in our Christian spaces that their intentions are, are good, right? Um, but the place to work out your theology is probably not with a queer person as they're trying to navigate <laughs> yeah. all of their stuff. Right? Tell them, Jake. Tell them. Uh, right? Tell like that, all these that's listeners. That's just not the place. There, there are really good books mm-hmm. that you can read on your own to learn all about this. And you can decide, do I agree with this? Do I not agree with this? What do I like about this? What do I not? There are theology professors that are experts in this field. So good. That you can, you can find out their office hours and you can go talk to them and you can ask them all your questions. I think it's safe to say that for LGBTQIA plus individuals on our campus, they're already navigating so much. I mean, all college students are. And on top of that, they're, they're trying to navigate um, understanding their, their sexual identity and, and making sense of that and moving forward in healthy ways in spaces that are hard for them. And so for you to pile on your mm-hmm. questions and processing, probably not super helpful. And in fact, probably hurtful. Mm-hmm. Well-intentioned as it may be to try to like have those conversations. So, invitation, if you made it this far on the podcast, you can also email me. I am happy to talk to you anytime you want, if my calendar allows. <laughs> uh, so, that, that's a disclaimer. But I think, just important to say, because I think what Jenna named is like, I think people are well-intentioned. I think they want to have a good mm. theology. Mm. I think they want to, a lot of them even are saying like, oh, I have, I have these queer friends and I've been told my whole life this, but that just doesn't feel like it mm. works anymore. How do I work that out? And the natural inclination is like, oh, okay, well, I'll go to my queer friend and, and like talk to, process this with them. I would just caution that that may not not be the most helpful space. So that's may my. May not can. go as well as you think it will go. <laughs> no, yeah, and even if it feels like it goes well for you, like it, you run the risk of hurting your friend mm. in trying to figure out your stuff, which is again well intentioned, mm-hmm. like well intentioned. Totally. So again, back to that like well intentioned piece, um, Christian spaces. So I named like my dad's a pastor. Um, it's so interesting. I think like what what Jenna named, which is like this topic probably more than any other one in Christian spaces has become highly politicized, mm. um, highly divisive, right? Um, we, could, we could do a three-hour podcast on why that is and this narrative of, you know, culture wars and purity culture and all the different components that, like, played into this. Um, that's not for here or there. I think just to name, it's highly divisive, high, highly... Uh, politically fused and and has become a conversation that we like take I I think we take and put into uh, a place that like it it really it adds so much heat to the conversation that probably requires far less than than we've been told it requires so again if we want to talk about scriptural interpretation and stuff I think there's good room to say let's look at scripture let's look at what Mm -hmm. it says and beyond just and, and this is any topic 
beyond just like I'm gonna flip open my NIV study Bible I got in junior high, and I'm gonna you know go to the back and look up gay and see what it says. Like we got to do better, and this is a host of issues. We got to do better with our theology than mm-hmm. just I read this one verse. It says this, so now I understand this and I know. And we've been told like that's true. Like this is what Christians believe. But that's no longer true. There, there is a divergence and breadth of theology uh, and understanding of both what God wants and what God asks us. Like, this is just true within Christianity. Our brothers and sisters are not unified in what we believe about this issue. And yet, we've also been told, it's, it, if you don't agree with this, like, you're giving into culture, you just have, like, lost this culture war, and you are no longer Christian, and, like, all this, these kinds of narratives that I, I think, like, make this issue harder to talk about. So, when I, when I told my parents what I was doing my dissertation on, like, I, I, with, <laughs> I withheld, so, like, this is it, oh. and, and I will say, this is my one moment where I got a small, small, tiny glimpse into, I think, what um, queer folk experience all the time. And so I do not want to equate this mm-hmm. in any way with the experiences of queer folk. But for, but for a short season, I knew what it was like to like desperately not want to tell my parents something because I knew how it was going to go. And then to finally have them ask and to tell them what I was doing my dissertation on and to see their sense of like disappointment, like questioning why I would choose to do that, all the, all these things. And I think to say like, that's, that's a very, very common experience for queer folk, right? Like this process of processing (laughs) with family and like (sighs) processing all those things. And I felt it for like one minute and it made me understand, I think why this conversation is just so hard and painful and challenging. So I think I think it's important to recognize the political realities mm-hmm. of it that we've been told this is like a life or death we cannot give an inch in this conversation or we are losing our faith. I would ask us just to reflect on that question if that's true. And then I think because uh it often lands in family spaces that are so intimate and the relationships are so deep and the pain and disappointment feels so intense um I think those things make it a recipe for this to be a really, really hard conversation to have well and for there to just be so much emotion and hurt and pain and, and all of those things mixed in. And, and I mean, we just know those things cloud our ability to have good productive conversations. So yeah, this one's hard. Yeah. Thank you both. And I think you both touched on so many things of, you know, talking about like the motivating factor of like asking yourself why what do I hope to gain from Mm -hmm. this conversation and you know who am I affecting by having this conversation and who am I having this conversation with am I hurting them in that process is so important I think to also you know reflect on because like you said people while people are well-intentioned they probably don't always think about um, the words and the questions they have how that that it has power and how that affects, you know, yeah. um, the people they're talking to as well. And I think, um, especially like you said, with it being such a topic that I think equates a lot of anxiety on both sides mm-hmm. now. Um, I think there is and point of, you know, this episode especially is to say like, we know it's a hard conversation yeah. and it's uncomfortable and it won't not be that. Um, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have it and talk about it. Um, but 
have intentionality and a lot of thought in how you approach that conversation as well. Um, and a lot of an open-mindedness too, coming in, you know, with um, not necessarily points you want to make or win, but just like trying to learn and hear the other person. Um, and so I kind of want to pivot into that of talking about, you know, I guess practices that have been helpful in trying to have that conversation, what mm-hmm. that can look like. Um, something I want to talk about a little bit is nonviolent communication. So it's a method designed to increase empathy and improve the quality of life of those who utilize the method and the people around them. Nonviolent communication evolved from concepts used in person-centered therapy and was developed by clinical psychologist Marshall Rosenberg beginning in the 1960s and 70s. It begins by assuming that we are all compassionate by nature and that violent strategies, whether verbal or physical, are learned behaviors taught and supported by the prevailing culture. It also assumes that we all share the same basic human needs and that all actions are a strategy to meet one or more of these needs. People who practice nonviolent communication have found greater authenticity in their communication, increased understanding, deepening connection, and conflict resolution. So I put put that in there basically to say, um, I think communication is a very large part in how you know, the conversation, these conversations go in terms of how we walk away from them feeling one way or another, the communication and how we talk about it contributes greatly to that. Um, and so that was just one, you know, method. And there's a book about it too. I would highly encourage people to look at it and stuff in terms of having any type of hard conversation. Um, but I kind of wanted to ask you guys, whether that be from your personal experience or from things you've learned, you know, in your own life, what have you found to be some helpful practices or tools um, when it comes to having hard or uncomfortable conversations? And this, you know, can pertain to what we're talking about mostly in these issues, but also just in general, hard and uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. I mean, I gave a whole tutorial to my Instagram following about this a couple of weeks ago. Love that. Because they were just, ah. oh my goodness. Mm. Like I said before, like this conversation, more than anything, will bring out sides of people that you've never seen before. Um, so I definitely, I hear what you're saying about the nonviolent communication. I think that's important. And um, to, um, non-queer people and people who are going into these conversations with um, the LGBTQ community um, or people that you don't know whether or not they are part of it, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's real. You never know who you're talking to, to be real honest. So I think you need to consider that you may be talking to a queer person every time you have these conversations. but my tutorial included three pieces <laughs> and I can remember two of them right now. <laughs> but the main one was self-awareness mm. and self-regulation. Mm. The people who give me the worst messages are a lot of times, I think they think they're saying really nice stuff, but what they don't know, I mean, if I can give an illustration, a lot of times my DMs <laughs> feel like, um, like a roof Mm. Um, and each DM is just a drip, you know? And if it was just their little question, it'd be fine. But it's not just their question. I'm getting that same comment over and over and over and it's breaking me down. 
you know? And so I think it's really important for people to be self-aware. Most of the time when they, you know, when non-queer people engage in these conversations, they barely know what they believe. They barely know if this bothers them so much because they have had homosexual thoughts, to mm -hmm. put it one way. They barely know if maybe they're so bothered by me coming out because their sister came out and they rejected her. And so they're looking for confirmation that what they did was right. They don't know if anything, if they're concerned about their kids, if they're just like freaking out because they really equate what I'm doing with like the worst of the worst things to do. Um, and so I think self-awareness is so important, especially, especially if anyone from like higher up places in this school, whether that's from a coach to an RA to an RD, all the way up the ladder to cabinet members. I don't know who listens to this podcast, but if anyone from a higher up place in this organization, any church organization, any school educational setting, if anyone listens to this, it is especially important. If you have any sort of authority, if you have any children in your life, any youth, if you have any siblings, any people really <laughs> you know, in your life, it is really important that you know when these conversations come up that you have spent time, at least 30 minutes quiet to yourself, to just think about what, what you're feeling mm -hmm. and to know what it is you're feeling before you enter into these spaces. Because um, so many people are just not self-aware. They're the presidents of universities and this conversation comes up and they lose their minds and just their fathers who are otherwise great people and lash out against their children, you know, throw things, things like that. We see violence in the home all the time in queer, like if we're talking about nonviolent communication, queer spaces in the home, you need to be, if you're having these conversations with your children, you need to be self-aware and you need to know how to self-regulate before you engage in these conversations. Because if I have seen anything, anything at all, from my personal experience in these conversations, that nonviolent communication does not exist in this dialogue. It does not, unless, unless the person who is engaging in this conversation with a queer person or someone who may or may not be queer has just done some deep, deep digging. And by deep digging, I mean like months, months of digging, you know, mm. just to be self-aware. Mm. And I think that's the only way for us to have any productive kind of conversations. Otherwise, people are getting hurt, you know? We, ugh. Queer youth, their homeless rate, like the rate of homelessness, through the roof. Through the roof. The amount of domestic violence and loss of youth to suicide because of these conversations, literally just trying to have these conversations with their parents. You know, the amount of times I've seen domestic violence occur in my own home just because of some eyeliner on a son is just wild. And so this is why beyond Instagram DMs, when we have these conversations, it's not about culture. It's not about, oh, I just want to, you know, 
follow my youthful passions or whatever else I've heard, you know, <laughs> just to choose one DM from the many. <laughs> but um, it's not about that. It's not about me wanting to go wave my little rainbow flag. I personally don't even like the way the rainbow flag looks, to be real honest. <laughs> like, you know, like it's not about that. It's about me wanting all these queer children to live. It's me wanting to go back to my childhood church, but I can't because they literally threatened my life. You know, it's me wanting to see my future students if I go, you know, because I'm going into teaching, like I want to see my future students in safe homes, you know, no matter what they come to real about, realize about themselves. And we really do need that form of nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so to follow my little Instagram tutorial, <laughs> step one, self-awareness. You have to know why this stuff bothers you so much. You have to know before you enter into these conversations, mm. before it comes up in your life, before you find your kid with mascara, you know? Like, and you have to know how to self-regulate. You have to know how, when you get so triggered, when you, you know, hear that your best friend who you went on missions trips, came out as a lesbian, you have to be able to calm yourself. You have to be able to regulate before you send that DM, before you send a DM at all, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah. so that was a lot, but no, that's my answer you. to your question. Yeah. That's good. I think if I could add one thing, I would just say, and this comes from an ally perspective, probably even more so, mm. uh, I think humility, it, it, like it, lead with humility. Mm. Uh, I have read a lot of books. I have sat down and heard a lot of stories from queer folk. And still, I don't know what Jenna's experience is. You know, I know some trends of, of what uh, LGBTQI plus students on this campus have experienced and can speak broadly to some trends. But when I sit down with any person, it, it is dangerous to assume that... I understand their story and their experience and who they are. And so that humility, I think, leads to curiosity, right? Mm. To be able to ask good questions, to say, I want to understand, tell me, uh, share your experience with me. Uh, I think those things are really important. And if those can guide the conversation, um, I think so often we come in with like, we have narratives already in our head that, that we just presuppose about people. And if that's what you're looking for, you'll probably find it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and so being curious, being humble, asking good questions. Um, and, and then, I mean, the last thing is just genuinely caring for people, right? That, that if, you can, if you can come with that humility, hear someone's story and they go, wow, that sounds really hard. I'm so sorry. How can I be in this with you? In general, that conversation is probably going to go a lot better mm -hmm. than if I come into it saying, here's what I think about you. Here's why you're wrong. Even though I haven't asked you what you even think or why, uh, like the, those kinds of things in, in any topic, that's just not, it's not a helpful frame. Mm. No one responds well to that. None mm. of us do, so you know? True. Um, so anyways, that, I think that'd be my invitation. Thank you. I, um, so much helpful, you know, practices and things like that. And I want to talk about how, you know, this isn't, an issue relevant just to this campus Absolutely. or to, you know, a couple, it's 
a conversation that's super relevant into like the world and what we're all talking about right now. I think especially as we continue to evolve as a society, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot more vulnerability, I think, out there and just how we have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think um, something that is inspiring is, you know, um, a lot of youth, I think, are more activist minded in some aspects of Mm. not afraid to have this conversation or are afraid, but are still willing to have this conversation, Mm. which is so important. Um, I want to read something just about, you know, other colleges that are also going through similar things as well. Oh, interesting. So uh, some of the Christian colleges in Southern California. So Azusa Pacific University, uh, a conservative Christian NCAA Division II school in Southern California has rescinded its ban on same-sex dating, this time for seemingly good. In September 2018, the school removed the ban only to have the Board of Trustees reinstate it a few weeks later after a backlash from Christian groups following campus protests and about six months of internal and external conversations. The school is making the move to find common ground and a place for mutual uh, respect between its conservative Christian belief system and LGBTQ plus community. University of San Diego established in 2018 the LGBTQ plus and allies commons. It came out of a legacy of student activism that pushed for greater visibility and support for LGBTQ uh, plus community members. They seek to create affirming spaces for queer and trans folk while educating the entire campus um, community about inclusive strategies through an anti-oppression framework that is explicitly pro, uh, pro black, queer, and feminist. It is dedicated to creating a world where each person's inherent dignity is protected and affirmed as an expression of universe uh, of the university's solidarity embodiment of the catholic call to care for the whole person Mm. so um that's just to say that this is a conversation that i think a lot of college campuses um christian college campuses are navigating in their own way um and that (laughs) you know the church as a whole is navigating and or is trying to navigate a little bit more at least we hope so um, well, and quite frankly, it's being forced to navigate. Yeah. Like, I mean, it. so I'll just name it. Like, we're hearing in the Equality Act, it is, you mm-hmm. know, in the news right now. Mm-hmm. In California, we've had uh, state laws come and go and be changed and all that. Like, I, I think um, it is naive for religious folk to think that they can stick their head in the sand and this issue will just go away mm-hmm. because it, it mm-hmm. will not. And so... We are better off engaging mm-hmm. a- and having good conversation than pretending like this will go away because it's not. That is such mm-hmm. a good point. Mm-hmm. I think what you said, we are better off engaging. I think that is so, so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Even though it's hard, like yeah. it is hard. And like, I mean, the APU one's a perfect example and I don't want to like rehash it, but I'm a, I'm a Cougar alum. <laughs> uh, I did my doctorate at APU, mm-hmm. so full disclosure. and. Uh, I actually uh, presented my dissertation like a few months after all of this hit the news and blow up. So I'm at my hooding ceremony presenting my dissertation. And it was just like, oh, this is like tense. <laughs> like you can feel it in the room. Like oh, no. everyone's like, oh, they're talking about this and like they're what they did about at Point Loma. Gay and, people. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. uh, and so it was like, you could like feel the tension <laughs> in the room. Um, uh. And that's a perfect example of just like, well, and it's true here at Point Loma. I, I think people can avoid it because it feels like if I enter in this conversation, I'm, I'm going to get it on from both sides. Mm-hmm. That, that's, I think the fear, I'll just name it from like an administration mm-hmm. perspective. If we like, if we don't 
enter into the conversation like okay just like lie low because the second you enter in you get from both sides you mm-hmm. get it uh valid criticism to say you're not caring well enough for lgbtqi plus students and you haven't done enough and you're you're not um, a safe place and then at the same time even just for entering in the conversation you get it from the conservative side saying you're giving into culture uh you know you're not you've lost your christian mission mm-hmm. who are you and so Again, just no one cares about administrators. No one's like sympathetic to administrators, but I'll just name it. Uh, and you shouldn't be. Don't be. Uh, but I think just to say that's a reality mm-hmm. for pastors, for administrators, for a lot of these spaces mm-hmm. is if I enter in, uh, I'm going to get it from both sides. And and probably I don't have a solid place I've landed yet. I haven't, I'm not an expert in this. I haven't thought it. So I'll just put my head in the sound, pretend like it. this isn't happening mm-hmm. and pray that this goes away. And I think my encouragement would be it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. We we have to engage. We have to care well for people in, in our context. Um, and we have to understand that, that this isn't going away, that this is an issue we will continue to have to talk about and work through and find good ways of being um, if we want to have any hope uh, mm-hmm. moving forward. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And I like what you said, especially about we need to engage because it's so important too with everything going on. And I think also sometimes we have this idea that like, by engaging or by having these conversations that we are then um converting to the other's beliefs or we are like losing ourselves in that um i think you know there's an acknowledgement of like you there's like there's a high probability sometimes that you're not going to agree on this issue in terms of like belief systems but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have the conversation and that doesn't mean you can't understand that person a bit more in their beliefs and hopefully they understand you a bit more in your beliefs. Um, I think the conversation also relies in like, how does that equate to respecting people and treating people as well? Um, And so I was talking to somebody the other day of like, I feel like sometimes one of our basic human needs is just to be understood by others and feel understood by others. Um, And understanding someone doesn't necessarily mean that you um, are, you know, relaying and losing all of your beliefs in that conversation or in that as well. Um, And so I wanted to ask you guys, you know, do you believe that you can reach a point of understanding um, with someone who has opposing views or beliefs to your own while maintaining your own beliefs? Hmm. Um, I was thinking about this at length, Um, looking at the questions you sent out in preparation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to think so. I used to think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but from experience, mm-hmm. it is very, 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 very difficult, near impossible, mm-hmm. and almost unwanted mm-hmm. to reach a point of understanding with someone whose belief is that I'm walking towards the fires of hell for something I can't change. Mm-hmm. Um, just for trying to live how God made me to be. Um, I think that this is best illustrated in a small story, if that's possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, One of my closest, closest friends, closest friends before I came out, um, the day before I came out to her for context, we were planning her wedding. Mm. And she was like, Literally, since it's COVID, only my bridal party will be there, including you. So I, you know, put it on my calendar, all that. Next day, came out to her. 
Um, I realize we're running out of time, so I'm going to make this brief. Um, But in that moment, when I came out to her, she was very kind about it. But a month or two later, she found out that my boyfriend at the time and I had broken up, and I think she was worried um, that I was actually lesbian, you know? Mm. I was actually gay. And um, that's when she called me and basically said, like, if you're still identifying as LGBT, I don't know how we can continue your relationship because you're not speaking truth and went on to tell me how, you know, a consummate relationship between a man and a woman is the only way that you'll like truly experience God. Mm. Um, And that was why that we couldn't continue a relationship together um, as friends. Um, And after that, um, I haven't heard from her since then, besides the occasional text. Um, I chose not to engage in a lot of DMs or anything with her. Um, I wanted to so badly, but I actually um, recently decided to not, and this is why I decided. Um, When I came out initially, when we had a conversation about it, she told me about this friend of hers in high school um, who was one of her closest friends at the time, and he was also queer. Um, and she told me how she lost him to suicide. Mm. Um, and that broke her heart. And in that moment, she was being very kind to me. And so I didn't connect those dots. I don't think she's ever connect those dots. I don't think she ever will. But after she called me and told me all those things and stopped talking to me, basically, um, I just had this moment where I was like, that's not going to be me. I can't let that be me. I can't be that friend she loses. Mm. And I think that when we're talking about coming to an understanding, I think the understanding that needs to be come to <laughs> is that you have queer people in your life. It's either you <laughs> or someone else. You know, I heard this statistic when I was coming out. I don't know how true it is, but it's decently viable that about one in four people when privately surveyed identify with at least some portion of the LGBTQIA plus community, which is totally plausible just because even intersex, which is perceivably the most rare, has about the same amount of occurrence as people with green eyes. Mm. So if you think of one of the most minute, seemingly rare portions of the LGBTQIA plus community, and know how common that is. The idea that one in four people privately identify as LGBTQIA plus is very possible. So there are queer people around you. And the reality is our beliefs have a direct impact and a direct link to their death. So when you're having these conversations, trying to come to some understanding, that's the understanding that needs to be come to. That queer people are real. I am a lesbian. I am very beloved by God. Very. And most churches believe things that are directly linked to my death and the people like me. And so I think that's why I no longer believe that unless that's the understanding that we're coming to, I don't think that we can come to an understanding. I think that's good. Yeah. Thank you both for that. 
Um, let's see. Do you believe, you know, I guess when we're normalizing conversations, like why do you believe this conversation is necessary, basically? Why do you believe not only the conversation we're having, but normalizing mm. this conversation is necessary? Yeah. And I guess I first should ask, do you believe it's necessary? Yeah. Um, and if you do, why? Yeah, and that was decently heavy thing for me to bring up, and it's because I believe in experience it every day. Um, however, I do think that these conversations are necessary. I think especially, and this is where I think that Jake is an important voice in this conversation, especially among authority figures in Christian spaces hmm. and among people who identify as straight among themselves. I think that the most powerful thing ever would be if my mom started a Bible study with her and her little church friends about affirming theology. That would be the most amazing conversation and that would change my life. You know, I think that if the cabinet members, Mary Paul, Bob Brower, all those big boys, you know, like got together and had a Bible study where open heart, open handed, you know, whether they were coming to an affirming theology stance or not, just went through a book about affirming theology just to understand it. You know, mm -hmm. I think that those conversations those conversations among straight cis people among themselves mm -hmm. um hard conversations could oh are just so necessary because like he was saying earlier i actually talked to my rd about this um our res life as far as christian colleges go is decently affirming um holds um at least in very open view and an affirming stance about loving our lgbtqia students well um, and one of the reasons that is, is because my RD was mentioning, I feel like I have talked about death by suicide so much, but it's unavoidable in this conversation. Um, but she was talking about how once you sat there with a student mm -hmm. and seen how these beliefs immediately impact people like that, you just can't go back. So I think that that's why it's so important to have these conversations. Mm. Yeah. Yep. No. Jen nailed it. I think, I mean, uh, people's, people's lives are on the line. Mm. Like when you just say it like that, like, so how do we as a Christian community not care about that? Mm. We have no choice. Right. Like th there is like, <laughs> there is no choice. Now, again, I'm not telling anyone what to believe or what their theology needs to be, but to at least be deeply compassionate and deeply caring, um, with that reality, I, I feel like I cannot disconnect that from what I feel like my call is as a follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so yeah, these conversations are, are really critical. And that's with our students. But as Jenna said, like, you know, mm -hmm. I have, you know, now 12 uh, nieces and nephews. At some point, one or more of them are going to come out if our family isn't talking about this now, how are we going to hold that well? Mm. We're not mm. like, you know, um, yeah. So with churches, with universities, with families, um, these are critical conversations. People's lives are on the line and certainly their, uh, their humanity and, and their sense of feeling loved and held well is on the line. And, and again, as followers of Christ, those are things we have to care deeply about. Mm. We have no choice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, we're coming to a close. Thank you both. This has been such a great conversation. I think a very needed conversation. Um, but, you know, before you go, 
what advice do you have? This is this podcast is directed right towards college students mostly. Um, and so what advice do you have, especially for students um, or individuals who are navigating having this conversation and whether that be from whatever, you know, if that's them also navigating their sexuality, if that's navigating them, for them navigating their belief systems, whatever that is, what advice do you have for them in terms of, you know, trying to figure out, but also trying to have this conversation? Hmm. Um, I'll speak to allies, friends, and family. Um, my advice is uh, love people well, uh, walk with humility, make sure at the end of the day, whatever conversation you have, um, if that person can leave that conversation knowing that you deeply, deeply love and care about them, um, that's the only way you're going to leave the door open for more conversations, right? Like no one is going to trust someone if they don't feel seen, loved and respected Mm. by them. And for those people that were close to you, that is far more important that the, than that they know what your theological beliefs on same-sex marriage are, quite frankly. Uh, mm. And so um, if you can lead with that, um, yeah, it's just more important. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all, all of us are navigating life with complexities and challenges and insecurities. And at the end of the day, when we deeply know we're loved by someone, um, that that is critical Mm. um life is hard enough for all of us as it is um when you have to question whether people around you that you think care about you even love you it just makes it infinitely harder and so Mm. the more you can drive that home um as you walk through life with someone i think you're going to give them strength to do what they need to do to be who they need to be to walk that out um and hopefully they'll be able to give that back to you yeah, and I'll speak to my beloved LGBTQI plus community. Um, while we're sitting here, I'm like getting notifications about my little group chat of mm-hmm. some queer women from Loma. <laughs> and so I'm just like thinking about them, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you navigate these conversations, just remember that you are beautiful, mm-hmm. you know? Ugh. People will tell you otherwise, but our community is unmatched you know, your sexual orientation, your gender identity, it's beautiful and beloved. Um, And there's support out there for you. So I think as you navigate this conversation to my queer and trans brothers and sisters and siblings, um, yeah, I just, I pray that you would find support, um, community, and just be so quick to just reach out to this community that's so ready to embrace you yeah that's all yeah thank you thank you so much thank you to both of you you know for being here and sharing your stories um because the goal is right is that there's somebody out here who is going through this right now or whatever side that may be whatever position they are in and stuff are trying to figure it out and that's why it's so important thank so thank you both for being here um before we go do you have anything you guys would like to promote at all? I'll start. Uh, if you're interested in voices, like please join that group. It, it is such a good place. 
Um, we're planning a campus event that that will be information will be sent out soon, so that'll be exciting here in the next month or so. We're also planning a training for staff and faculty mm-hmm. on how to walk well with students um, who are queer and 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 to do that in our context. And so, um, yeah, if that interests you, would love to have you join and be a part of it. Yeah, Voices of Love is amazing. Literally, uh literally changed my time here. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend, literally, uh, literally some of my best <laughs> men- memories. Yeah. Literally highly recommend. Oh. Even if, like literally, it's for everyone. Unless you're yeah. homophobic, then don't come. <laughs> we don't want you there. <laughs> but um, hopefully, probably if you're listening to this podcast, you're not homophobic. So <laughs> allies, queer people, trans people, we love you. Well, and maybe another quick shout out about Voices, having walked with students for a long time. And I think Jenna illustrates this in her story as well. Um, you don't have to be like resolved to like come to Voices. It's a great or, place to yeah, be questioning. Like figure it out. Like if, if you're just needing a space to ask some questions and to understand and to meet some good people along the way. just like hanging out with gay people. Yeah. We're cool. We like you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just say this. It's a lot of fun too. It's so, so even fun. if you just want a good time, that's a good place. Voices of Love meetings are a blast. Um, yeah. And then it, I think to say like the other group I often talk to is like people who are walking this out with family members who, mm. who are straight mm-hmm. um, and, oh. and are walking this out with family members. So again, I said this early on probably not the best thing to go to your queer friends to to like work out your questions with right but find a faculty member find a staff member who who can help you process that to ask good questions to resource you um i i think especially those family relationships are just so crucial Mm -hmm. and often becomes really hard to walk it out well and so um yeah happy that we have good people on this campus to be resources would love to be one of those or connect you with someone who's a really good resource. Yeah, I'll just drop a few like rapid fire resources that we have. The pastoral stuff, like the theology department yep. is like that's an actual resource, a thing we have set up where you can go through the Voices of Love leaders and set up an appointment with them or you can just go straight to the theology department. Um, also, yeah, there's like affirming church resource guides yep. that we have queerchristian.org has amazing guides if you are listening to this and thinking about coming out to family members they have great advice for you great resources for you um or if you are a family member of someone who has just recently come out they also have great resources for you yeah um and the last resource i'm in this little group chat which is very unofficial with a bunch of women loving women and non-binary loving women from loma so if you're interested in that reach out to me on Instagram, stalk me, I won't care. Just DM me, we'll get you in our group chat. And if you're a man-loving man or a non-binary loving man or a trans person or a non-binary intersex person, um, I would really like to help you start your own group chat for those communities as well, sub-communities within the broader community. But yeah, anyway, that's all. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. Um, I'm sure we'll be hearing from you guys in the future and stuff as well. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast and for supporting us. And stay tuned for when we come back in two weeks as we invite Heavenly Vasquez and Julia Sanchez to discuss colorism in the Latin American community. Until then, be sure to stay safe and we will see you soon. Take care. This podcast would not be made possible without the Office of Multicultural and International Student Services at Point Loma Nazarene University. It was executively produced by Bella Passi and Sam Kupong. 
It was written by Fernanda Viana and Bella Passi. Research was done by Fernanda Viana. It was filmed by Kevin Langley from the Media Services Department of Point Loma Nazarene University. Edited by Bella Passi.